1: We are back for another episode of the Best Ball Banana Stand. I'm your host, Peter Overzet, joined by RotoViz's Sean Siegel. Every single week here on my channel and on the RotoViz airwaves, we draft a Best Ball Mania 4 team. We talk through our strategy. And Sean, of late, we've been trying to figure out how to avoid or navigate these wide receiver avalanches. How are you doing today?
2: Good, good. I uh, woke up this morning and it just felt like a $3 million day. So Ooh, I, I, I like can't that. wait to get into this avalanche draft.
1: So I, I'm sure you know from doing drafts with Colin, because I remember seeing this um, on some of your Rotovis streams I would watch. And I don't know if you read the comments on our video, knowing you, I'm guessing you didn't, but you gave a lot of people anxiety last week with us running the clock down on some of these picks. And so I just want to make sure you're aware of of what you're doing to the audience with with your indecision there.
2: Well, there's I, I've had some flashbacks to that Godwin Hawkinson selection. So, <laughs> no, it's it's fun every week. Colin and and Ben give me a really hard time about filibustering the picks. Obviously, you don't have a great deal of time to make these selections when we're on the clock with underdog, which I mean, Pete, that's that's what makes these drafts so fun.
1: It it really does. And I'm sick. I kind of personally enjoy uh, the drama of like, I don't even know what we're going to do four seconds before uh, the clock. ends. so I want everyone to know that that is not a bug around here. That's a feature to drafting with Sean. You also mentioned, um, Ben, you guys dropped a Stealing Bananas episode yesterday. I uh, ate that one up last night. Really fun conversation talking about these players we like, the DJ Moore, the Kyle Pitts, the Drake London but really thinking through some of the more you know systemic team level concerns with the passing volume and how to approach that in drafts and how we're not getting any discounts on those guys in underdog drafts. I thought that was a really uh, great episode, Sean.
2: Well, thank you. It was really interesting to talk with Ben about it. He had released a couple of fantastic articles over there on Stealing Signals that I really wanted to dive into and ask him about and got to do that yesterday. So that was awesome the I gave him a hard time because the first one was an anti-dj Moore piece and everybody knows that Ben is the foremost Dj Moore advocate the second article he didn't really reference it or couch it that way but I thought that it was actually coming back and saying look you know you can take this guy so I wanted to make that push in the show we had a lot of fun with it
1: we did, and we are off to the races, Sean. I did get us registered here for a Best Ball Mania 4 draft. If you are listening on the of his Airwaves, we will make sure to keep you up to date on our selections as we go. I will always service the audio listeners, and uh, of course, if you're watching on the YouTube channel, we got the draft board up here. I did forget my banner uh, last draft, Sean. This is, let's see, this is number 43. Best Ball Mania draft, 43 for me. The Ducks need to be fed. We need to get our background music, Sean. I think I'm, I'm finally settled in. And we got the 1-6 today, Sean. We'll be drafting from the 1-6. Very nice. That relieves a little bit of that tension and pressure at the turn.
2: But especially in these avalanche drafts, you may have to go really early on some guys.
1: That Yeah, I've been thinking about that too, both for, you know, when you and I are talking through selections and also just to make sure you aren't susceptible to a huge positional run. Like picking in the middle of the draft definitely gives you a little bit more flexibility. You can kind of, you know, more preview what your opponents are going to do. You can look and say, all right, these teams one through five, can we let this guy go and see if he'll come back around? I just think it's a much easier thought process from the middle of the draft.
2: And the second half of the first round, I would argue, is quite a bit weaker. And so from that perspective, also, I think you have to like where we are. I mean, this is a running back area for me, Pete. I mean, we get yeah. McCaffrey at that little bit of a discount.
1: Yeah, so Sean referencing, we have four picks go right off the board. Jamar Chase, or uh, Justin Jefferson, Tyreek Hill, Cooper Cup, Stefan Dix, five picks. All wide receivers, um, I agree with you here, 1-6. I do have Sean and michael dubner's blended ranks from rotoviz uploaded in here i know one of the other things people really appreciate too is just seeing your ranks which are different than a lot of industry consensus and i think it leads to one really fun drafting but also kind of unique discussions of like holy cow we need to talk about why this player is so high so in the first draft we were drafting off of pat's legendary upside ranks now we're drafting off of sean's rotoviz ranks influenced with michael dubner's as well um what, what are your um, What are your thoughts, Sean? How do we avoid a wide receiver avalanche? Um, again, this is going to be a friends and family draft. We do start with a running back. Do we have some tricks up our sleeve?
2: The more that I've been looking at this, and I know that it pushes against a lot of the things that we have emphasized through the years. RotoViz has always been really heavy with elite tight end, two tight end, really heavy with window QB and two QB. But when you look at late in the draft, the best picks are almost exclusively QBs and tight ends. And I think you also get higher upside players at those positions this year than in some other years. So that moves me a little bit in that direction. And I mentioned the roster construction explorer that we have, the underdog, a couple of tools there, also the advanced rate explorer some really cool stuff. You look at that advanced rate explorer and you see that the tight ends and the elite tight ends have mostly been valuable for the playoffs. Now, I mean, the playoffs are hugely important, right? But if we do think that there are some late tight ends that have more upside than they usually do, we can look at. So I think that these next six picks need to be wide receivers unless you know, the draft just really pushes us hardcore in a different direction, which it does have a tendency to do.
1: Yep. So we do see a bunch of wide receivers go. Devonta Smith, Jalen Waddle. If we do want a wide receiver, it looks like Chris Olave or T. Higgins would be our best bet. Olave right here at ADP. Uh, or do you want to get real frisky with a Jonathan Taylor uh, double running back start?
2: Which direction do you want to go? I mean, I say
1: we got to take the six wide
2: receivers, but man, it's so hard to pass Jonathan Taylor
1: i know yeah i think we need to grab chris olave or risk getting really really buried uh in this room how where are you at because i want to talk about jonathan taylor because obviously people are starting to get a little spooked um i think people are worried about is he going to catch passes? Is this offense with Anthony Richardson going to be as friendly for the running back position? And I think what else drafters are doing is they're saying, why should I take Jonathan Taylor here in the middle if I can just get Josh Jacobs or Derrick Henry, you know, around later? I think that's the calculus going there. Why is Jonathan Taylor still a slam dunk selection in the middle around two?
2: Well, round three is a really good running back round. There are some other names that we like a lot in there as well. So you can do that, especially if you're looking just for the one running back and you start wide receiver, wide receiver, which really is probably still preferable. It's just the first round wide receivers aren't that strong. Jonathan Taylor, I mean, we can get to a little bit more you know, after this next pick. But after the show yesterday, Ben and I were looking at D'Angelo Williams with Jonathan Stewart in the rookie season for Christian McCaffrey. Those guys combined for over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. D'Angelo Williams has some years in there. We were also looking at him kind of individually where massive season with basically no receiving value at all. Underdog, obviously a format where I mean still the receiving value for running backs is very, very helpful. But if you had a guy who just went out and scored a ton of points like a Derrick Henry or potentially a Jonathan Taylor and did it through receive or did it through purely rushing. I mean, those points still count. So Jonathan Taylor is a
1: bigger talent. Than those other guys that would be i think the biggest argument for him for sure um we do see you know wide receivers are flying off the shelves metcalf hopkins ridley josh allen we are on the clock you can get uh jalen hurts at three six if you'd like we have a bunch of running backs we like we could try to stay ahead of the avalanche with a keenan allen or debo samuel where's your lean
2: i don't think there's any problem with taking keenan allen here usually I take one of those running backs, but since we started with McCaffrey, Allen is kind of the guy I like. This is the range he should be going in, and especially in Avalanche drafts, I don't have any problem with it.
1: Yeah, we're gonna select Keenan Allen here. uh, 10 picks ahead of ADP, but uh, I would say ADP is getting thrown out in this room with so many selections early. We see our guy Serum taking uh, DeAndre Hopkins near the one-two turn, presumably to uh, Galaxy Brain, the connection with Patrick Mahomes if that happens. And uh, yeah, nice. uh, Do your research does get the very rare Jalen Hurts premium double stack, which is pretty hard to pull off in drafts. AJ Brown, Devonta Smith, Jalen Hurts all there off the rip, Sean.
2: And it's interesting to see that development. Hurts is the guy I would least expect to fall kind of over time this summer. We're already seeing you can pull up the Roto-Viz ADP tools and track some of the guys you can look at risers and fallers. Pete, one of the other things I was going to mention in terms of just needing to get these receivers early and trying to get that six in the first seven. We We've talked about yeah. five and seven. That might not even be enough, right? I've mentioned to you before that I think only four receivers from wide receiver 60 on are even draftable at all. <laughs> and two of those guys are among the five biggest risers in underdog ADP. So you're getting worse values on those two players as well now. And if you don't have the receivers, you're in big trouble. The other thing I thought was interesting in terms of this discussion of QBs and tight ends and where you let them fall to is that specifically for 2022, which I mean, we don't want to chase just the one season. I did a big two-part article over the weekend and, and yesterday talking about the history really going back to 2015 for best ball in general but when we look at 2022 and that wide receiver early with the later picks at the onesie positions that was very successful for playoff advance last year we'd love to get a lot of teams through
1: for sure um we see the duality of man from the 10 and the 11 hole four straight wide receivers for the 11 four straight running backs for team 10. we are about to be on the clock here wide receivers continue to get wiped out Um, I will see best available here. Godwin, McLaurin, Drake London, DJ Moore. Um, As far as the fallers, you do get Jameer Gibbs. I was really hoping we get McLaurin, a little correlation there with Christian McCaffrey. What do you like here, Sean?
2: I'm okay reaching for Godwin. Taking Gibbs is really compelling, but I'm sort of interested to see how this wide receiver based and like a pure reach team works out here and i just i think godwin is really undervalued i think the other receivers in this adp range are just not particularly good picks and so even though you're giving up the ADP value you're kind of going out there and planting your flag and saying i think the community is wrong chris godwin is too good a lot of the other receivers in this range including some of the guys who have already gone i think have massive red flags and i would want to stay away from them even around later than we are now
1: yeah one other little bonus to the godwin pick is correlated there with chris olave playing for a little nfc south shootout in week 17 and uh i know i saw some people in chat surprised passing on jalen hurts but you know the thing you know sean and i realized this last week and you know when you take those early detours in a wide receiver heavy room you can get punished and you can be left fighting for those four good wide receivers sean mentioned after wide receiver 60. so um you know and this is kind of the thing everyone's wrestling with this year is there a counter strategy to these super wide receiver avalanche rooms or do you just have to embrace it and find your edges in other spots and stay ahead of the avalanche
2: and that's what the article series i worked on this last week really was about it was about elite qb with a hyper fragile running back approach and It's a combination of a thought experiment with a lot of evidence from our tools. I think that that can work, but you look at these drafts that you and I have been doing together and people are going to look at it and say, well, I mean, it's only shifted a little bit, but even having those receivers shifted by, you know, six to eight spots, it has a huge impact when you start to look a little bit later, you know, in round five, in round six, in round seven, in terms of who you're getting, if you haven't prepared for it and sort of struck early.
1: Yeah, and I do, uh, I read both of those last night. I was behind on two of the underdog workshops that you have up on Rotoviz. biz um, Really interesting pieces. And, uh, you know, one of them talking about how to pull off an elite quarterback with a hyper-fragile strategy, which I wouldn't recommend doing that in one of these streamed rooms, but it can be viable if done in a more, you know, quote unquote, normal room here. Um, all right, we are on the board here. You got Evans, Pickens, Deontay Johnson, Burks available you do have some fallers here at other positions. What stands out to you?
2: Well, Burks is a name that within the last week or so, I've really been thinking that we need to get some more exposure to. I really don't like the QB situation there. And mm-hmm. the week 17 with Houston is also something that doesn't interest me very much, both because I wouldn't expect that game to shoot out and I don't like any of the players to kind of come back and put with Burks but if we do have a one-off and an extremely wide receiver heavy build here he's the guy who I think that next year out of this group we're potentially talking about much much earlier and I mean we're going to do enough of these drafts we don't have to stay away from certain guys but Pickens is someone that we've drafted a lot of
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, Pat and I selected Traylon Burks in draft uh, number one here today. And, you know, I was saying that I think his ADP is going to settle in this range where we're taking him right now in this wide receiver heavy room. Um, Do you, how much of it changes for you? Because the thought experiment I did with Pat is like, if you knew you were getting 17 games of Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, I mean, Traylon Burks is probably going in the fourth round in that case.
2: I think so. And I mean he got a little bit of good buzz in the last week but I also was looking back through some of our sports info solutions data in kind of making a separate argument for JSN and why even in a three wide receiver depth chart where all three guys could be elite why he is viable that early and just kind of going through some of the history of the players being drafted in that range it just jumps out to you again what a massive prospect Traylon Burks really was. And that if he hadn't been hurt so much last season, I mean, you're not probably not going to be talking about him up in that Garrett Wilson, Chris lobby range. I mean, they were just so good, but I mean, he'd be much more expensive.
1: Yep. Um, this is uh, one of the most quintessential wide receiver avalanche drafts, maybe even more so than our one uh, last week. Although I guess some guys here uh, slipping a little bit, I would have been interested to see if we would have pulled the trigger on Justin Herbert at pick 60, at 67 if he fell to stack up with Keenan, but he does go there. We are looking at the board here. I'm curious, do you think we have room for a tight end or quarterback detour here, or is this a spot where we keep grabbing these wide receivers as they fly off the shelves?
2: I'll be interested to see where a couple of those... Receivers who are still at the top of my rankings go. I mean, for me, the pick would have been Kenneth Walker. Yep. I mean, he's massively undervalued there. Um, I would be okay with doing Pitts because Pitts is a way to play.
1: The... Who's your favorite wide receiver? Because we could play the tight end coming back since they're... But I'm going to put Pitts in the queue right now too.
2: Well, I think that Tony is the most likely guy to blow up from that team. And I mean, if he did... Then you're talking about a, a huge win at these particular prices one of the elements that i think does make it a little bit tougher is that i don't think that there are a lot of fun bangles especially at the receiving positions after those two early guys and then I mean, obviously patrick mahomes is long gone so there are some structural elements that make tony problematic and then on top of that, you have the fact that he's going to miss eleven of the games and give his other receiving options a chance to jump out there and and get it get over him. But when you look at the talent, you look at the QB situation, and one of these years, Travis Kelsey is going to drop down a little bit, and it's so hard to do because anytime that you do it and you're not right, people will just be all over you about how you didn't play the most obvious thing. But it's so important to be early as opposed to late with your thesis on guys who were at the age cliff not only avoiding them but the players who could benefit as a result if you're not early you're just drafting everybody about where they're projected and if those guys stay healthy then maybe you still win some leagues if you have a good structure maybe you still win some leagues but if you want to benefit from some league winning players i mean you got to go out there and and be early on some of the guys
1: yeah. And pits Pitts does go. What I was trying to see if we could get through there is we had these tight ends sliding, you know, George Kittle sliding all the way to 69. I was looking on this side of the board. I knew TJ Hawkinson had already been selected. Didn't necessarily know if serum would double tap elite tight end. And then I knew we had some teams with elite quarterbacks here who might not want to, Oh, and Casey already had Mark Andrews. So I was wondering if we could grab Goddard at 78 for our elite tight end. Is that something we want to do, or is J.K. Dobbins our Kenneth Walker from last round, who's now slid 22 picks past ADP? I,
2: I think the Dobbins is is such a massive smash here. Let's
1: do it. Talk about Dobbins. I got. Uh, I was very underweight on him. I finally corrected that yesterday, getting my first share. Now getting another share here. You know the the counter is going to be you know quintessential dead zone back, although falling two rounds past that right here. Give me the give me the hype on uh on jk dobbins
2: well if we're gonna take guys who have a little bit of that dead zone profile probably aren't going to catch enough passes to meet that kind of legendary upside type of criteria then we want players with great speed we want players who have the potential for efficiency that almost no one else can touch and dobbins has done that at the college level he's done that with the ravens we believe in his individual talent and then on top of that, you have the situation where teams have to account for Lamar Jackson. I mean, this could be the highest scoring Ravens team that we have witnessed in the Lamar Jackson era. It could be the most explosive team in terms of getting down by the end zone quickly. J.K. Dobbins is kind of one of these sneaky guys who, even with his size, even with Jackson also scoring touchdowns, to be you know in that Aaron Jones type of conversation, where you're not really thinking about him as a touchdown score. It's not that big back, and yet could lead the the league in touchdowns. When you get him at this price, you go through and, and check out the advanced stat explorer and see what he did even last year when he was being caught from behind by linebackers, and yet his advanced metrics are extraordinary. He's just simply too talented to fall into this range, especially in an offense that should score a lot of points.
1: Yeah. And it is interesting too we talk about oh maybe it feels gross to take Keenan 10 picks ahead of ADP, Godwin, you know, 13 picks ahead of ADP, Burks, 15 picks ahead of ADP, but then you start to get this ADP back, you know, with these running back fallers and I think from um an ADP value standpoint it ends up being a wash here. Um all right, we are on the clock, Sean. Um, the wide receivers have gotten wiped out. Um, we have another running back faller in Dalvin Cook. I think I made you pass on him last week. Uh, this could be a spot for him. Um, do you see anything at quarterback or other positions?
2: Not really, and I probably prefer the upside play
1: of his brother. James? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah, okay, talk talk about that because obviously um, – you have dalvin cook sliding and my I'm, I'm guessing your your take is well he should be sliding and he should maybe be sliding even further
2: well i don't know how much of dalvin being there let's see i can see it. there's a little bit of the other portion of our rankings that's pulling cook up i had a long conversation with connor about this I mean, Dava Cook was still pretty good last year. And so, Mm -hmm. if he's traded, I think it becomes interesting. If he's traded to a good team, it becomes interesting. If he's cut, which you also get the impression is fairly likely, I mean, he starts to fall into this Kareem Hunt, Ezekiel Elliott group. Now, he's not going to, it's not the same group, but there are similarities there where the potential for a fall deep deep into the draft and the potential for a landing spot with a team that has a young back that they actually want to emphasize and so you get these two guys side by side on the field the first month of the season and the young guy who the team maybe wasn't completely confident in blows up i mean dalvin could go to extremely low volume in a heartbeat and that's not the kind of pick i think we want to make here in the first eight rounds
1: Yep. Um, definitely makes sense to me. I want to mention again, to make sure you guys are checking out the Underdog Workshop article Sean has been doing up on Rotoviz. There's now three of them in the series, and I had so much fun last night, Sean. I went down the rabbit hole of following all the links, so I reread Conroe Driscoll's old piece about why the run wide receivers are still so powerful on Underdog. I hopped over to Michael Dubner's initial pitch, Uh, piece about the quarterback prices this year. You can really go down a fun rabbit hole on RotoViz with those articles. We're about to be on the clock here at pick 102. Our team so far, no quarterbacks, no tight ends. CMC, J.K. Dobbins, James Cook at running back. Our wide receivers, Chris Olave, Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin, Traylon Burks, Kadarius, Tony. What are you seeing here on the board, Sean?
2: I like the contingency-based plays at running back in this range. So I think Rashad Penny is extremely interesting I mean Tua is a spectacular value and yet I mean he doesn't necessarily fit with what we're doing in this particular draft and if we continue to load up at running back and wide receiver it gives us the opportunity to do that late QB late tight end build that number one I think is good overall and then number two I think becomes even much more powerful in this particular type of room.
1: Yeah, so what, like, circling, so I do select Rashad Penny for us here. I agree there were no other obvious uh, picks for us there at other positions. Um, you are. I, I know the, the big dynamic everyone's wrestling with this year is, okay, elite QBs and QB window QBs have traditionally been how we win leagues. This year the landscape is so different that the elite QB prices and even the quarterbacks available in the QB window are much different. And now wondering... It seems like we're still applying previous years elite qb prices when talking about the advantage they give you and wondering is that all priced out in round two are these qb window guys who uh, you wrote about a large chunk of them busted last year is this dynamic pushing us to uber late quarterback when we don't get a value when we don't get an obvious stack it sounds like that's kind of where you're leaning right now at least with this build.
2: It is. And you look at the guys in the window last year who blew up and you're talking about second and third year quarterbacks, some of them with some hybrid rushing value who had a breakout or a secondary breakout that was huge. You look at the QB window this year and it's not really that type of profile, which immediately I think should give you some pause. You also think about, well, where are those guys positioned this year? Well, they're positioned at the end of drafts. So the community is saying they're riskier. You have to take that into consideration. There's a chance you would draft a guy who doesn't even end up being the quarterback. We know we want as many live players as possible. The other problem there is it does make it more difficult to set up all of the correlation elements when you don't know who you're going to get at the QB position until late. And if you actually push it to get the value, then... Even some guys you drafted early at QB, you may miss on the QB that you need with them. So you could end up with a great structure and great player value, but maybe not the playoff upside that you need to maximize that. But I think that you have to take some risks if you want to build those super teams. I think that that element of it is really appealing overall and then especially in these rooms.
1: For sure. And, man, yeah, we see Tua go at 113. Nice little value there. Um, we were debating Pat Fryermuth. He now slides um, eight picks past ADP. That seems like a great selection for us unless uh, something else is catching your eye. Yeah.
2: Antonio Gibson, I think, is interesting there. Fryermuth to me, is more interesting when we already have... One of the two Steelers wide receivers. And you and I, I think, have gone that route a couple of times pretty successfully because Pickett ends up being, I mean, Pickett is the best pick in drafts. And so we well, end up with a lot of exposure there because he's the breakout guy, but also it's much easier to build that Steelers team than it is so many of the other things you're trying to do where you can easily go for it and miss, or you have to reach and you're losing some of the player. They have some of the ADP value, and not even actually ADP value, but value to your own ranks, which is another thing that would be heavily you know, emphasizing there. Steeler's a great way to do that. But in part, because it's such a great approach, I have really high exposure. And so I want to maximize it as much as I possibly can with multiple guys from that group. Does that is that a good enough argument for passing on him here? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think the only thing I would say, and this was another kind of conversation to the late round quarterback, and we did select Antonio Gibson, by the way. So we're at a zero five five build right now. Uh, no one can accuse us of not getting unique. The only thing I was thinking about is because we want to set ourselves up for some backdoor stack options, you know, Friar and then giving us an avenue to Kenny Pickett, a quarterback who's probably going to be on our radar regardless. To me, I like breaking ties in favor. Of some of those pass catchers who I know have a quarterback available late, but you could also argue in Antonio Gibson, we also open up a path to uh Sam Howell.
2: And that's a pretty good path. We have to hope that yesterday's controversial interview, what have you, with Ron Rivera keeps Sam Howell in round 17, round 18.
1: Yeah. Um, so we're gonna be on the clock here at pick 126. Um, you know, definitely in some dicey territory here. Um, Derek Carr gone. Can't get that stack with Olave. We do have some fallers with Aaron Rodgers. What what do you see here on the board? Do we have a reach option at, at wide
2: receiver? One of the things I would be a wondering Jaylen about. A
1: Jalen a DJ Chark. Too early for Thornton. No, it's never too early for Thornton. Uh, I mean, in this room, I took him on my draft with Pat. I take him in every other of my best ball mania drafts and we are, you know, running out of those wide receivers. And I'm going to guess, Sean, when you talk about the four wide receivers after wide receiver 60, that you think are viable selections, I'm guessing Tyquan Thornton is one of them.
2: He is one of them. And he is one of the biggest risers over the last couple of weeks in ADP. So I have some teams that are Mike Kosicki, Tyquan Thornton, Mac Jones in the last three rounds. That's going to be tough to pull off going forward.
1: Right? Yeah, he is, uh, obviously in this room. Uh, but in general, you're getting the, I think you're getting a couple of factors. One, you're getting actual reports out of new England that he just looks incredible at camp. We now saw that. I mean, confirmed by multiple one. Yeah. And even then, you know, even if you want to make for a, a late, you know, Renaissance year from Juju, I mean, they're going to be playing essentially different positions, right? Like we're excited about Taekwon Thornton's deep speed down the field, or are you even excited about him even expanding that route tree to where he's used more as an alpha and, and less as a deep threat?
2: I mean, he's so thin to <laughs> end up with massive volume, but in addition to the speed that he has, it's very clear and the ability to get behind people. And I do think they're going to take a lot more of those shots in this year's offense than in last year's offense. But they have shown a willingness to scheme a lot of touches to him around the line of scrimmage and so if you're getting i mean these easy catches and then on top of that you're getting the vertical ones and some of those scheme touches have been down by the end zone i mean in that week 17 game where he does have a little bit of a spike factors in to pass win i mean he almost caught a second touchdown in that game i mean he dropped it stepped out stepped on the line i mean (laughs) When you're talking about that already from Tyquan Thornton, when you would
1: expect him to blow up, I mean, he's just going to yeah. be surprising. So we are about to be on the clock here at twelve seven. We have five running backs, six wide receivers, still no quarterbacks or tight ends. Would you consider a backdoor stack here with Aaron Rodgers? You do have a guy like Nico Hardman, um, the tight end available, Corey Davis, so to speak, or do you want to keep hammering other positions?
2: I'd be okay continuing to go other positions. What, what, what's your favorite move here? I, I, I think we could take Curtis Samuel.
1: Okay. Uh, talk to me. Uh, so yeah, I assume this is a correlation play, uh, with Christian McCaffrey a guy. I haven't ended up with a lot, but we are needing to set up, um, a quarterback selection. We already have Antonio Gibson. Um, and in this room, ADPs don't matter anymore. <laughs> a wide receiver. Talk to me about Curtis Samuel.
2: Well, Samuel is the, I think the biggest beneficiary of the new offense that they're going to run there with the enemy. And to the point where Jahan Dotson, a player I love, but somehow always get wiped out of in these drafts, could be hurt by it. I think that Terry McLaurin is actually significantly overvalued. And I mean McLaurin, the interesting thing about him is that you can put him then with a quarterback who's very dynamic in more or less the last round. And so I'd still be drafting McLaurin, even though in a vacuum, I don't think he's a good pick at all. Samuel gives you the chance to get a cheaper version of it. We talked a little bit about that on the show last week. You brought up some of those hits, which I very much appreciate, where we're targeting the second or third guy. And I think when you're looking at the different teams, you're trying to find the talent and where the talent is closer, where the talent is much farther apart you know with the jets as you mentioned a couple times i really think that that has got to be garrett wilson but with the commanders i mean it could be curtis samuel and if it hits i think it could hit big now we picked him in round 12 this isn't the last round pick that you and pat were talking about uh, at the end of the previous show and yet there are some elements to that where i mean if you got a couple of those spike weeks from curtis samuel which i think are very much in play i mean he's a potential tournament winning kind of guy I don't like a lot of the other receivers in this range as as having that. And so if we can set up a hopefully a Washington-based team here, I think that part of it would be interesting. And then especially as you mentioned with McCaffrey, where the Commanders 49ers game is one of those sort of stealth shootout possibilities that I really like. And you can play as opposed to some other games that are very expensive.
1: All right, Sean, if we're going three quarterbacks, three tight ends, it is time to start selecting quarterbacks and tight ends. We do have a Jared Goff faller here. Anything else standing out to you?
2: Well, we got new buzz on Greg Dulcich. And if we're talking about guys who could win tournaments, talking about guys who could have that elite tight end game in week 16 or 17, I mean, if Russell Wilson moves back in the right direction a little, I, I think that this offense here, I love the running backs in it, love Jerry, Judy, love Marvin Mims. This is just another way to play it. And we are on that Keenan Allen selection early.
1: I was just going to ask how much of the Keenan Allen pick is pushing you in that direction. Obviously we need tight ends, um, Dolchich and ADP value, but is that Keenan pick really what pushes you over the edge with that selection?
2: I think that it is in part because one of the other elements of a draft that's not going to follow ADP at all is you're dealing with a lot more wild cards. And so it's going to be a little bit more difficult to execute some of your correlation elements, especially when you know two people are talking about it in, in a live draft there. So I think that anytime you're given that, you definitely want to
1: jump on it. And does this feel like a three quarterback, three tight end room for you are, or, or are there specific combinations that would say, hey, we could go two quarterback two tight end if it breaks right.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
2: I think if we really liked who we had and then there's just so little control you can really exert over round 17 and round 18 if people mess with you or just fits what they're trying to do if you don't get those guys in the very last rounds you think you're going to get there are some last round wide receiver and especially running backs I think and you and I talked about this a little bit after the last show you know would we be willing to attack the flex position through running backs instead of wide receivers late even if that's not what all of your experience tells you even if that's not what a lot of the analysis will suggest even if that's not what the roster construction explorer tells you if that's clearly the best guy it's your best chance for points and it's your best chance for a live player know we could go that route in the very final round especially because if you're so wide receiver and running back heavy early i mean you
1: have made the move to cover what you need to cover at those positions right um we are about to select here at 14-7. So our team, we're at zero quarterbacks. We got five running backs, CMC, JK Dobbins, James Cook, Rashad Penny, Antonio Gibson, our wide receivers, Chris Olave, Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin, Traylon Burks, Kadarius, Tony, Tyquan Thornton, and Curtis Samuel. And we did just select our first tight end in round 13 and Greg Dolchich. We are about to be on the clock here at pick 163. We'll see what uh, do your research does here. And then we will make another selection um, I completely didn't know that Derek Carr was still on the board. I didn't even scroll down. We He would have been nice with Olave. Russell Wilson with Dolchich, well past ADP. What do you see?
2: Yeah, I think we've made a tiny little bet here on Wilson taking that step back. And he's scored so many points at different times in the past. He's surrounded by elite talent, which is something that when you're looking for a guy To move back in the right direction is so important. I think that they're, even if they're not healthier, which they haven't been, they have so much redundancy at the various positions right now that an elite coaching staff, which I think they're at the very opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of coaching this year, and that will help. The problems with Russell Wilson were already showing up in Seattle. And so it's not that we expect him to suddenly be peak Seattle Wilson, but At these prices with a team where we like that game. I mean, he's not even my favorite target when we're talking about building this kind of late tight end and QB team. But if he falls here to us, it's an interesting way to play it.
1: Yep. Um, I wanted to pull up one quick question, um, not particularly relevant to what we just did, but JGFC saying, um, Do you, does your strategy change as far as in terms of drafting early? versus drafting late? Maybe I'll pose it this way. If you didn't do content, if you were just uh, behind the shadows or in the shadows fantasy drafter, when would you do most of your drafting?
2: I, I mean, I don't want to give kind of the boilerplate answer, but but really early right now, I mean, you just have so many opportunities to exploit things like the, you know, Gasicki, Thornton, Mac Jones thing at the very end of drafts. So you would do a ton early, I think then if you feel like the rooms are maybe softer in the middle, you're going to definitely make some moves. Then if you have ADP kind of firming up and not changing a lot pre training camp, and there are some huge values that you want to exploit, you get in there and you really load up on those players at that particular time. But then when we think about making sure we maximize for tournaments, and we have as many live players as possible. Even though you have that frustrating element of losing the values on a lot of your favorite guys as the community gets onto them, you do also get so much more information late that your 17 and 18 picks can be really profitable at that point.
1: Is this a spot to take Irv Smith with our little Kadarius Tony mini? Uh, anything else uh, jumping out to you?
2: Well, I I really like Gasicki and McBride as massive playoff options, but I'm fine with Smith. If you prefer going that route, Um, because the Bengals could score.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I would just, I was, I'm just thinking here too, with um, getting that huge value there. I guess it does, you know, Kyler had gone. I would have been curious, maybe if we wanted to try to do a McBride Kyler, if that moves stuff. Um, I did just select Irv Smith for us. The only other thought was, I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to get both of those guys later. We would then have our choice. Um, but I guess too, it doesn't help us with giving us another out to a quarterback stack, but we do still have some options here, um, based on our board.
2: Yeah, the, there are two quarterbacks that I really like with the players that we have. If we go the three quarterback route Mm -hmm. and there's a third quarterback who would be more or less empty, but has the hybrid value and is undervalued by like seven rounds. Oh, so I got him. I mean, if I you got him in the
1: okay. I, I honestly don't, I, I guess I could make one guess, uh, on who, but I don't even know if it's the correct guess. So, uh, stay tuned, regardless of whether we draft that player or not, uh, we will reveal that here at the end of the draft. Um, Let's see, there was another thing I wanted to ask you uh about here as we head into the 16th round. Our team here, one five, seven, two. Russell Wilson still our only quarterback. We did tack on Irv Smith there at pick 174. Um, anything else jumping out to you in this room or things we should be considering other than you know covering us at those onesie positions?
2: I think that the running backs coming off the board in this range are pretty interesting. Mostert has a ton of upside. I think that A-chain is probably less at risk with all the Dalvin Cook rumors than Mostert and Wilson, though. So I probably Mm -hmm. am waiting on those guys until you get to see the spot. Deontay Foreman, such a huge talent, but in that three running back committee where, I mean, all three of them are going to be neutralized by Justin Fields. When we took Herbert last week, I, I love the individual talents. I, I think you should be sprinkling them in. Chase Brown, a hugely undervalued draft prospect. But when you think about what the perspective is on him to sort of globally... I mean, I, I love that price. I love the pick. Obviously, we love Chuba, Chuba there. Ford is someone who I think, even at the slightly higher prices, is a fantastic selection. The running back picks in this range are fairly dynamic and that's another reason why even though one of the parts when i talk about hyper fragile in those underdog workshops so the win the flex tool will tell you that the value is a running back a lot of other people are out there doing great analysis telling you the value is a running back but there are such massive structural reasons that you can't really go that route and there's a lot of nuance to it cover a little bit of that in the article but I mean those those types of running
1: backs in these rounds, I mean that you, you just can't take those running backs early. Yep. Uh, Mike Gasicki, the pick here. Talk about uh, talk to me about Mike Gasicki there. I have seen a lot of people are on board with um, some of these Patriot value players, but it does seem like the community much prefers Hunter Henry to Gesicki. And we've actually started to see a bit of a flippening with the ADP for those guys. Give me the uh, the selling on uh, Mike Gesicki here.
2: Well, Mike Gasicki is a, basically a receiver. And so you have the potential that if they don't like him, as a receiver that you start to lose snaps and routes because of what you just mentioned, where he's not really the tight end I and mean, Hunter Henry is the tight end. And yet, if you are trying to bring back some of the elements that they did with Gronkowski and Hernandez, and he's a little bit more the Hernandez type of piece, you have some tight end opportunity, but you also then have the chance that he could just win more or less the wide receiver two role, which when you have that, in an offense that i do expect to take a step when it's basically taekwon and then we selected Devonte parker last week i think that i mean if you're talking about 17 18 that's justifiable but i mean juju and Devonte parker they're not going to move the needle mike gisicki and taekwon thornton could i think gisicki actually has multiple ways that he can potentially win in this offense because he's a receiver as opposed to a tight end
1: I like it. Yeah. Uh, And you can definitely tell yourself a story of him still having those two touchdown games in him, even when he was not running a ton of routes, not getting a ton of targets. They were still um, those games available to him. Um, Two more selections. I'm guessing these are going to be quarterbacks for us. What do you want to do here?
2: Well, I think it's a matter of order. So we've got the two guys set up. Which order do you? let's
1: grab force. let's grab Sam Howell here. I assume that's one of the uh one of the guys there. Yep. We have Antonio Gibson. We have Curtis Samuel and of course we have our Christian McCaffrey bet. Um real quick, is was Sam Howell the guy you were referring to as undervalued by seven rounds or have we not talked about that guy yet?
2: We haven't talked about him and he actually did go in this one. Was it uh, Ritter? It is.
1: That was gonna be my guess. Uh okay now I want to hear I want to hear you talk about Desmond Ritter.
2: Well just as a little bit of tease too for the ceiling bananas Ben and I talked about him at some length in the show yesterday it's important to kind of keep in context what I'm really saying here I'm not saying that he's going to be Anthony Richardson but he has a season with the same number of rushing yards he has a season with more rushing touchdowns he's not Richardson level athlete but he's very athletic in his own right he's got an offense where they're going to have some schemed runs for him and if you look at the other players on his team Desmond Ritter is a vaguely hybrid QB with elite talent surrounding him. So he's a little bit of that high floor, high ceiling type of prospect where in all likelihood, you are seeing him either break out or be completely replaced in 2024. But at these prices, I mean, there are so many things that are built in that work in his favor I would be surprised if the Atlanta offense is actually not very good this season. You're seeing that from the prices of the players around him, and yet he's got the characteristics that you want from a fantasy QB and and people aren't buying.
1: Yep. Yeah, and I assume you're open to Ritter in various configurations if you have a London or a Pitts, obviously, but also maybe unstacked if you are just looking for a little bit of juice in a QB three kind of room. Exactly. Um, all right, we are about to make our last selection. I don't think I have done one of these punt QB, punt um, tight end rooms. And I'm really glad that we got forced to this because, one, it's it's fun to mix it up. And, two, it did really allow us to get ahead of the avalanche and build out a really good running back room. CMC, J.K. Dobbins, James Cook, Rashad Penny, Antonio Gibson. I mean, tough to do much better than that and not get buried at wide receiver and then we will be making our final selection here. I think you could, yeah, I mean, this is, this is Mac Jones for us, right? No, no doubt about it.
2: It is. And the thing about taking Howell in the previous round, and, and you don't, again, know exactly how they're going to go. Purdy actually has the earlier ADP. But, I mean, if Mac Jones had been taken, then you can play. We talked about not having both guys from the Week 17 game. And yet, if you're talking about 17 and 18, it's a little bit different there. And if you're talking about a 3 QB build, I think it's different than in a 2 QB build, which we were talking about when we put Pickett and Smith together in a previous draft. So it's not that you can't get hit on them. You will sometimes see all those QBs taken before our draft pick right here. You could do something like take a C.J. Stroud, who also... I mean, C.J. Stroud, I think, gets lost in all of the conversation about Richardson and Young, there are some meaningful reasons to think that he is the best of the three guys. I don't like to take him because he probably isn't going to run a lot, and I absolutely hate his weapons. But if you felt like you had to take a third QB, you've got that where you could just go with him by himself. I think we would probably take an interesting final round running back if Mac Jones and Purdy had both been
1: selected. Yep. Yeah. I was gonna bring up the purdy thing too. So I'm glad that you mentioned this. Michael asking, first three QB, three tight end build in Best Ball Mania four, definitely. I was doing a bunch more of those in the big board. You had the 20 rounds. Um, definitely a lot easier to get to three QB, three tight ends with those two extra picks. Um, but in Best Ball Mania, yes. And this is this is a room where it makes sense, where we had to get out in front of the wide receiver avalanche early. You know, we hammered Chris Olave, Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin, Traylon Burks, and Kadarius Toney in rounds two through six. And then we found ourselves in the spot where the best picks available were then all running backs. Then we rattled off four straight running back picks in rounds seven through 10. J.K. Dobbins, James Cook, Rashad Penny, Antonio Gibson. This to me feels like quintessential giving what the room Um, or taking what the room gives us. Although, as I say that, we did pass on some extreme tight end values and knowing that maybe for this specific room, it was tapping into the job security and the roles that the tight ends and quarterbacks provided us from what, rounds 13 and on.
2: I, I have to say, I really like the teams that are built like this. And I think that there is the potential for... Very justified pushback that you drafted a regular season team, and I mean, we've seen some really good regular season teams. I mean, King Cap's million dollar team. You know, if you if you do that part of it, then you know, you're, you're still a millionaire. Now the the mix is a little bit different this year, I think, but I like to think in terms of building the perfect regular season team first. And then thinking through what I think the realistic upside for some of these guys are. Because if we think of Howell and Mac Jones as actually deserving picks that are on the back end of the QB window, and one of the things that the RCE will tell you throughout the years is the QB window dominates, but also you get great value and you're able to do so many other things if you're hitting the back end of that window. And if we think of those guys as players who should be ranked there, but we're getting discounts on. Then it all comes together for you. And then the other thing, I actually like the playoff element with it. There are trade-offs between 2QB and 3QB, both for the regular season and for the playoffs. You're obviously losing the chance to hit on an additional player at running back or wide receiver to get that spike week that puts you over the top. And yet there are more different elements you can build in when you have three quarterbacks. And there are more different games that you could win through. And that part of it, something that obviously Pat did last year. I think that this team is built in a way that is similar in, I mean, if you like the guys. So we also reach on Tyquan Thornton and Curtis Samuel by ADP, but within the context of how this draft went and within the context of where I think those guys should actually be ranked, then, you know, you feel pretty good about it. I also think that it's much easier to reach on Thornton and Samuel if you're set at running back. Whereas if you take an early QB, and early tight end, and you're not set at running back, you have to take the good running back values in that range. You can't get those wide receivers. And then you're looking at wide receivers in rounds 15, 16, 17 that, I mean, they could hit, they could be that guy with the spike week, but we're going to get so much more information later that the people drafting in August are going to have such a huge advantage on us if we go that route. I don't think that they have an advantage on us in nearly the same way if we go this route.
1: I'm gonna recap the full team here. Three, five, seven, three build. Russell Wilson, Sam Howell, Mac Jones, running back CMC, JK Dobbins, James Cook, Rashad Penny, Antonio Gibson, wide receivers, Chris Olave, Keenan Allen, Chris Godwin, Traylon Burks, Kadarius Tony, Tyquan Thornton, Curtis Samuel, Greg Dolchich, Irv Smith, Mike Gesicki. We have a ton of correlation throughout this as well, playing for that New England-Buffalo game with the Dobbins bring back. Of course, the Washington-San Francisco game with Christian McCaffrey anchoring that one. And then Russell Wilson to Dolchich with Keenan Allen coming back. We also have Olave and Godwin going against each other. We have Kadarius Tony and Irv Smith going against each other. All kinds of correlation here. I have to ask, Sean, when you pushed us to James Cook at pick 91, and I feel like I know the answer to this. Was in the back of your head, this is definitely a Taequann Thornton, Mac Jones, Mike Gesicki team.
2: One of the reasons I love Cook is that I love the late Patriots. And so you're thinking, I mean, how can I get a value on a Bills player? Because, I mean, Diggs and, and Gabe Davis are just such terrible picks in isolation. but <laughs> But they work very nicely if you have everything set up. Because you want exposure to the really high-scoring offense. I think that Cook is a great pick in isolation, who then, when you think about what you're trying to do with the Patriots, I mean, he becomes one of my favorite picks in all of these drafts. And so it's almost a matter of, like, where can you avoid him (laughs) so you don't have too much?
1: Yeah, and that it does work out nicely there. I think at one point, you know, Dalton Kincaid was sitting around at the top of our queue, but I do really like how this draft broke out. And I, I do think this would be a funny one for people to see the screenshots of these picks and you're like, okay, you big reach there. Or holy cow, Dobbins fell here. But when you look at it in totality, uh, it definitely tells a story and it definitely leans into correlation. And the guys we are reaching on, Tyquan Thornton, Curtis Samuel, I mean, we're making big bets, not only on their teams, their offenses, those passing games, but also on those week 17 games, right? So if you're gonna go and get your guys, you better be building as if you're right For the team level scenarios and their week 17 matchups
2: i love it and i i just i do think that that's an extra feature of going at it this way that people might not be thinking about where if you're doing a little bit of a unique approach structurally how can you amplify that by making the other parts the other tournament elements really work in your favor if people are going to be concerned that you're not set up properly for the tournament without the elite QB, or even you know any high QB without the elite tight end. How do you flip that on its head and actually build out so that you have a, a perfect tournament team as opposed to the other way around?
1: Sean, tell people a little bit more about the underdog workshop you have going up on the site right now. Like I said, I binged those articles last night. Um, how to combine hyperfragile running back and elite QB for a contrarian juggernaut. If there's anyone who is not afraid to stare down some of these wide receiver heavy rooms and get unique builds, it's you. And you lay out kind of a path of how to pull that off in this piece.
2: Right, so actually look back through all the way through 2015, talk about how ADP and the specific scoring environments of individual years work out to create where we are now. We look back at 2022, what worked then, there are some specific elements that carry over to 2023, but we also want to think from an even bigger picture than that. So I go through and say, if this is a year where you're basically making two conjectures, one, that the Elite QB element, even at the higher prices that you referenced, that's still going to be a thing. And then number two, maybe this is a year like 2016, or maybe just the huge move in ADP moves us in the direction where a hyper fragile team works. You combine those two things. What else would you have to do to make it work? Mm -hmm. And one of the things, just like we just did with our team to make that work, you have to have then all of those additional wide receiver picks. I think if you have this elite qb with hyper fragile then some of the later wide receivers do get a little bit more interesting if you're doing both week 16 and week 17 game stacks you're having the qbs fully stacked up so you're maximizing the value of those wide receivers but also you have very specific running back profiles that you're chasing and i mean we barely missed arguably on some crazy crazy running back values i think ken walker would have been One potential one there. Gibbs would have been one. What are are your thoughts on that part of it? Do you have, I mean, the team worked out perfectly, I think, from my perspective. And you look at just like where we took Kadarius, Tony, if we had taken any other running back, you just, you're not going to have enough wide receiver firepower. But is there any regret that we didn't pull the trigger on Gibbs or that Walker didn't make it to us?
1: I, I might have had it, but I felt like we had three versions of that pick, right? And the values got even bigger as you went along in that, you know, Gibbs was a little bit of a slider, Walker, pretty big slider. And then we did get it with Dobbins. And so I feel like our patience was rewarded. I think both of us prefer Kenneth Walker to JK Dobbins um, in a vacuum, but in that scenario of making sure we didn't get buried. And the fact that we were able to get Kadarius Tony at ADP kind of in a crazy wide receiver room. I do think kind of justified pushing it there. And then knowing, hey, these next four or five picks, next four picks were all running backs, where the running backs were the best pick on the board. So I like how we played it there. And uh, I wanna give just another plug here. Check out Sean Siegel's um, author page, all of the great work over at RotoViz. I got the link down below in the YouTube description there, got the underdog workshop going. Also, uh, if you guys are dynasty heads, Sean has some awesome dynasty workshops. Up there as well. I also think I'm going to be going in the lab here soon with Michael Dubner to make another best ball video for 2023. Getting excited about that. A few other plugs. As always, guys, I know a lot of you are new to best ball. I've actually been getting comments for the longest time. I always was just all of you sickos who draft year round. You you know the deal. But now there are some new ones for you guys here. If you are uh, jumping in on underdog, you can get up to a $100 deposit match with promo code Peak here. And Also, uh, I will be drafting tonight, as mentioned, with uh, Pat and Ben Gretsch on ship chasing. We will be back um, as well for, uh, I'll be drafting here in an hour and a half on the cast as well. So Sean, I'm drafting around the clock. What other things can people look forward to over at Rotoviz this week?
2: We're going to have more content on some of those other topics that you also mentioned. We're looking at some of the elements with the FFPC, how to beat their tournaments, There are some subtle differences that I think people may not play up enough. We'll have workshops there. We're going to have more workshops on the RV Triflex format over at the FFPC with Dynasty, Dynasty format that we love. And then Colin Kelly and I have new shows out for Rotoviz Overtime as well. One of those that was a lot of fun was looking at the MFL 10 of Death, a Pat Thorman creation with a lot of the best analysts in the business, looking at some of the flag plant picks and looking at some of the different structures some drafters leaning into zero RB, a few drafters leaning into hyper fragile. Surprisingly enough, I mean, balanced is not particularly po- popular because there are some weaknesses to balance. So I think that was an interesting look. Yeah, it's it, it seems like June should be the break time, but perfectly ten articles bouncing around in my head that I want to write simultaneously. That's pretty hard to do, but there's going to be a lot of fun stuff.
1: I know. I love it too. And uh, you know, every time you do a draft, right, the juices get flowing again. Oh, here's another angle to write about. Uh, So yes, very much looking forward to, to that. As always, these drafts on my YouTube are eligible for my giveaway that I'm going to do when we hit 15,000 subs on the channel. We are chugging along at a great pace, almost to 13.8 here. So very shortly, we'll be only 1200 subs away. How you get entered in that giveaway is leaving a comment on the stream. The second the show is ended. I have also created a play. Playlist For all of my Best Ball Mania stream drafts, you can find that playlist. Every single one of those videos is eligible for an entry via comment. I've seen some people going back, watching them from the beginning, leaving comments. Knock yourself out. Made it very easy for you. With the playlist, one other plug too, over on Fantasy Life uh, yesterday, I wrote up a Best Ball Mania 4 trends piece, looking at the falling elite quarterback prices, looking at a tight end dead zone forming with some tight end fallers, and then also looking at some of those RB2s who are screaming up draft boards like a Jerome Ford, like a Jalen Warren. So be sure to check that out. I will catch you guys later for the drafts. For Sean, for Pat Corain, this is Best Ball Breakfast. We'll see you guys next time.